Greetings, podcast listeners. Welcome back to another episode of History from One Student to Another. In this episode on Britain from 1919 to 1939, I'll be looking at the national government and its response to the Great Depression in 1930s Britain. The period of time between 1929 and 1939 is sometimes referred to as the Devil's Decade. Aside from the rise in extremism that took place during the decade and the commencement of the Second World War, the beginning of the decade is marred by the Great Depression as the Wall Street stock market crashed following the post-war industrial boom of the iron and steel, construction, automobile and retail industries of America in the Roaring Twenties. Despite prosperity in the industrial sector, the overproduction in agriculture sparked financial difficulties for American farmers, contributing to the crash of the American stock market. Meanwhile, in the towns and cities of America, people were investing in the stock exchange. Americans loaned a total of 8.5 billion US dollars in order to do so, whilst banks used their clients' personal savings to give out loans and increase their own profits. This massive wave of economic optimism is to be what leads to the Great Depression, as the cycle of borrowing and buying and borrowing and buying and borrowing and buying stocks caused the returns on shares to fall and people to sell their shares en masse. Though the Great Depression caused a 15% reduction in global GDP, comparatively in Great Britain it fell by approximately 5%. Despite the significantly smaller reduction in the average global rate, the British economy was still rocked by the Great Depression as the value of British exports halved as the USA implemented protectionist policies and imported less, and unemployment shot up to 2.75 million people. In Britain, as the Labour-led government was unable to agree to the measures to take in response to the Great Depression, Macdonald formed the national government with the Conservatives and some Liberals. On August 31st, one week after forming the government, he was expelled from the Labour Party and replaced by Arthur Henderson as party leader, though he remained Prime Minister. The Labour Party opposed the formation of the coalition government and saw him as a traitor. Meanwhile, the party was accused of running away from the crisis, with their refusals to cut public spending in order to protect the economy as a whole. On the 28th of August, the national government was able to secure £80 million worth of credits from Parisian and New York banks, allowing Chancellor Philip Snowden to present a budget that revolved around spending cuts and increased taxation. However, economic turbulence only escalated and this was further exacerbated by a naval mutiny in Invergordon on the 15th of September. Many international investors of the pound sold their shares and government bonds, causing the value of the pound to drop eventually forcing it off the gold standard on the 21st of September, 1931. In light of this, Parliament was dissolved and a general election was called. In spite of its troubles, the national government was victorious, earning 67% of the vote in a landslide victory which saw the Labour Party reduced to just 52 seats. The conservative majority of the national government favoured protectionism. They implemented customs duties on foreign imported goods, Tariffs were introduced on fresh fruits, vegetables and flowers. Later in February the next year, Chancellor Neville Chamberlain introduced a 10% general tariff on goods, excluding food, raw materials and other select goods. A controversy arose following the 1932 Ottawa Imperial Economic Conference as it led to a breach of free trade due to the emergence of imperial preference among the colonies of the British Empire and resulted in the resignations of former Chancellor Snowden and some Liberal MPs. 
As people were disproportionately affected by the Great Depression, the national government passed the Special Areas Act of 1934, giving £2 million to the distressed or special areas in South Wales, Tynestide, Cumberland, and some parts of Scotland where unemployment had reached millions and starvation was a prospect for the workers who were unable to provide for their families. A government reported highlighted the extent of this social issue as they found that around 25% of the British public had an extremely poor diet quality. The reason for this disparity is that certain industries were hit harder than others, namely the coal, iron, steel and shipbuilding industries. These heavy industries were concentrated in Northern Ireland, Scotland, Wales and the north of England. Hence, there were higher concentrations of unemployment. For example, the unemployment rate in the town of Jarrow rose to 68% when the Palmer Shipbuilding and Iron Company that was based there closed down. Another example was that of the Rhondda Valleys, a large coal mining area where unemployment had risen to above 40%. The situation there got so bad that by 1932, unemployment figures had reached 63%. This contributed to the decline in public spending as taxes went unpaid, and by 1939, 50,000 people had left the area, a significant reduction in the population of 169,000 in 1924. Just for context, the mining industry there never recovered, and the Rhondda Valley had a population of just 62,500 in 2011. People who were made redundant relied on unemployment benefits. That is, until the government introduced the means test in 1931 in order to cut costs. This meant that officials would visit families and judge them in order to determine how much they would be given in unemployment benefits. The problem for struggling families was that these benefits could be refused if an older child had freelance or temporary work, the mother was in part-time employment, or a grandparent was living in the same house without paying rent. This resulted in many heirlooms and possessions being sold and savings spent in order to support themselves. Some of the major opponents of this means test were the Welsh people, including those from the Rhondda Valley. Britain's economic struggles were exacerbated by the collapse of some European banks. By July 1931, Britain had a deficit of £120 million. Since the Labour government could not agree on how to combat the issues, Macdonald formed a Conservative-dominated national government, as I've mentioned already. Later, after withdrawing from the gold standard, devaluing the pound sterling and reducing interest rates, Britain's exports became more competitive and its economy began a slow recovery, although its strong construction industry with booming house production allowed for an earlier recovery. However, unemployment and hunger were still a reality for many people in Britain. Hence, hunger marches were organised across the country in Rhondda, Bristol and the National Hunger March in 1932. During the National Hunger March in October 1932, 2,500 workers marched in London. Trade unionists helped to organise it and provided the marches with food and shelter. The marches worried the government, who in turn ensured that there was a strong police presence. They used spies to infiltrate groups of protesters and used force to confiscate petitions to stop them from reaching and being read in Parliament. Another hunger march, known as the Jarrow March, gained widespread publicity when 200 men marched peacefully from Jarrow to London, a journey of over 450 kilometres. However, like the marches before them, there was little sympathy from the government, and the march and its connected petition were simply ignored. 
While people in certain areas of Great Britain struggled, there were benefits for more affluent people in the 1930s. New mass-produced goods came into production, such as cars, radios, cookers and fridges, sparking a growth in these modern manufacturing industries. The introduction of credit allowed people to buy now and pay later, allowing them to get luxuries they would never have been able to afford before. With this, there was a drastic increase in car ownership, with 2 million cars sold in 1938 alone. The most purchased car was £100 cheaper than in 1923, as the Austin 7 could be purchased for just £125 in 1936. Meanwhile, whilst 3 million new houses were built in the 1930s, there was also a 1,200% increase in electrified homes. With this, more and more people were attracted to new electrical consumer goods, and by 1937, over half of the households in Great Britain, including the poorer working class ones, had a radio. This was helped by the falling prices in the Great Depression, and also the reduction in family sizes, which meant that there was more money available for the purchase of luxury goods, such as vacuum cleaners, washing machines, radio, televisions, and to pay for leisure activities, like going to the cinema, dance halls, swimming pools, and watching football matches. There was also a rise in domestic holidays, with seaside towns like Bournemouth becoming more popular holiday destinations. This was allowed for by the reduction in working hours and the introduction of paid holidays, and of course the fact that they could get there more easily due to there being more cars on the road. Moving on, aside from the economic issues that plagued 1930s Britain, the government was also tasked with handling a constitutional crisis, following the death of King George V on the 20th of January 1936. He was temporarily succeeded by his son, King Edward VIII, however, he was forced to abdicate on the 11th of December that year. It had been his wish to marry the divorced American socialite Wallace Simpson, but as the British monarch was the head of the Church of England, which disapproved of divorce, and the national government opposed the marriage, he was forced to step down and abdicate. He was then replaced by King George VI, the father of the late Queen Elizabeth II, who was highly popular and, like his father, provided strength to a country during the physical and psychological trauma that the First and Second World War caused, respectively. Thank you for listening to this episode of History from One Student to Another. Please click subscribe to be notified when the next episode is released. I would also be grateful if you would be so kind as to buy me a coffee via the link in the description. Thanks again for tuning in, and goodbye.